1994, Anne Friedman had just been promoted to director of the Knoedler Gallery in New York. Now that she was in charge, Friedman's job was to find big-ticket works for the gallery to sell. So she met regularly with art dealers, one of whom was particularly intriguing, Glafira Rosales. Rosales wasn't a well-vetted dealer, but she claimed to have a long-lost painting the gallery might be interested in. Soon enough, the two met in Friedman's office. Rosales arrived with the painting wrapped between sheets of cardboard. Once they'd exchanged pleasantries, Friedman asked a gallery associate to unsheathe the piece, revealing a stunning work by abstract expressionist artist Mark Rothko. The painting took Friedman's breath away. It was massive and showed two rectangular shapes painted in rough, broad brushstrokes, a purple block hovering above a red one of the same size. The two stood out against a light gold background. It was a classic example of Rothko's signature abstract style, exactly what Friedman had been looking for. But she wasn't just charmed by the painting's beauty. A Rothko could sell for millions, which meant a hefty commission for Knoedler Gallery. Friedman asked Rosales for more information about the painting's authenticity and its owner, but the dealer was tight-lipped. Rosales claimed to have a confidentiality agreement with her client. It was unusual for a dealer to withhold so much information, but Friedman wasn't worried. She could have experts vet the piece and any others Rosales had for sale. After all, the painting looked legit and Rosales seemed trustworthy. What could go wrong? Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In this series, we're investigating the biggest mysteries in the art world. From a Da Vinci worth nearly half a billion dollars to graffiti by the elusive Banksy, we'll look at the most notorious paintings on the planet and explore the secrets surrounding them. Today, we're examining one of the largest art fraud cases ever, involving $80 million worth of forged pieces. From 1994 to 2008, Knoedler Gallery director Anne Friedman sold more than 60 fake paintings she received from dealer Glafira Rosales. But the feds couldn't determine if Friedman knowingly conned buyers or if she was duped herself. So we're asking, how did so many people get tricked into paying millions for forged art? We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. 
Awaken your senses with a curiously refreshing Hendrix Cucumber Lemonade. Curious how? Cue the aroma. Marvellous. Cue the taste. Magnificent. Cue the cucumber. That's the refreshing secret. Hendrix is uncommonly crafted with cucumbers, roses, artistry and imagination. Other gins are ordinary, but Hendrix is refreshingly curious. Discover Hendrix Gin cocktail recipes at HendrixGin.com. Please drink the unusual responsibly. Hendrix Gin, 44% alcohol by volume. Bottled and imported by William Grant & Sons, New York, New York. Copyright 2024. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you were in the market for fine art and a street vendor offered you a Picasso, would you buy it? Probably not. You have no reason to believe the seller. He has no credibility. But if you notice the same Picasso at a prestigious art gallery, chances are you'd be more interested. All that's changed is your level of trust in the seller. Unlike street vendors, galleries are generally reliable institutions. When collectors buy from a gallery, they assume their purchase has already been vetted by experts and deemed legitimate. This trust is what drove collectors to New York's Knoedler Gallery for over 160 years. When the business first opened in the 1840s, Knoedler was one of a few art houses in all of Manhattan. Around the same time, a new generation of oil tycoons and wealthy robber barons scored big during California's gold rush. They were happy to spend their money on art, especially at Nodler. Clients included household names like J.P. Morgan and John D. Rockefeller. But more than a century later, Nodler fell on hard times. Its purchase of a new storefront on the Upper East Side nearly drove the gallery to bankruptcy in 1970. That's when oil tycoon Armand Hammer bought Nodler and later installed one of its most successful directors, Lawrence Rubin, who changed the gallery's business model. Rather than vend art from the 19th century, the company would sell works by modern artists. As part of the shakeup, the new director brought in new staff, including a young assistant named Anne Friedman. The new hire proved to be an effective salesperson. By 1994, Friedman was promoted to director, and she was eager to make a name for herself in her elevated role. As the head of the gallery, she was in charge of finding paintings for the business to sell. One of Friedman's employees set up a meeting for her with an art dealer named Glafira Rosales. She was polite and had a sophisticated look, nicely styled clothes and frameless glasses. In other words, she looked like all the other dealers Friedman met. Rosales had a client looking to sell a Mark Rothko painting. If the gallery could make the sale, Nodler would keep a cut of the proceeds, which would be massive. Rothko was one of the 20th century's most famous American abstract artists known for his large color field paintings. If you've been to a major art museum, there's a good chance you've encountered a Rothko. His pieces were often about four feet wide and five feet tall. 
Rothko used these grand canvases to explore how simple shapes and colors can collide and unintentionally paired colors that might trigger certain feelings. Similar shades might feel more harmonious, while contrasted hues were more disruptive. Rothko and his contemporaries, like Jackson Pollock and Robert Motherwell, were among the first American artists to achieve international acclaim. Their pieces have been displayed everywhere from Nebraska to Israel. The market for abstract expressionist paintings was especially hot when Rosales met with Friedman. Pieces were selling for millions. It's no wonder Friedman was so transfixed by the Rothko. In the 2020 documentary, Made You Look, Friedman said, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. If one can fall in love with something material, I do fall in love with art. But emotions weren't enough to justify a purchase. Friedman needed to confirm the painting was authentic. She began by noting the canvas was signed and dated by the artist. Next, Friedman asked Rosales about the painting's origin. The gallerist wanted to know the provenance, its history of ownership. As we've discussed previously, provenance is crucial to establishing a painting's authenticity. When there's a clear chain of title, a piece can be traced all the way back to an artist's studio. But Rosales couldn't fully disclose the work's provenance. She claimed the Rothko was owned by a friend with whom Rosales had a confidentiality agreement. She referred to him as Mr. X. According to Rosales, Mr. X was a wealthy man whose family immigrated from Europe to Mexico after World War II. During the 1950s and 60s, they occasionally visited New York, where they met an abstract expressionist artist named Alfonso Osorio. Osorio connected Mr. X to other abstract expressionist painters. The collector bought pieces from them and took the artwork back home to Mexico. Mr. X later bequeathed the paintings to his son, who Rosales referred to as Mr. X Jr. He was looking to sell his father's collection with Rosales' help. Apparently, Mr. X Jr.'s sister may have had receipts for the paintings, but the documents had likely been destroyed. Friedman thought the story had a couple of red flags. Newer pieces, like abstract expressionist paintings by Mark Rothko, tend to be well catalogued and photographed. And because modern works have only been in circulation for a short time, it's usually easy to identify its previous owners. So when a relatively recent piece doesn't have any records, its authenticity becomes questionable. And when an entire collection lacks provenance, the Art Dealers Association of America advises galleries to stay away. Plus, Mr. X Jr. was willing to sell to Nodler at a significant discount. An authentic Rothko could net a lot more than Mr. X Jr.'s asking price. Another red flag. Yet, Friedman dismissed her concerns. She felt these issues could be easily explained. Although many modern paintings have a clear record of ownership, there are exceptions. Some 20th century collectors bought pieces directly from artists and paid for them in cash. So it was possible the Mr. X pieces never had a written record of his legitimate purchase. 
As for the steep discount, if Mr. X acquired art in the 1950s and 60s, as Rosales claimed, the abstract expressionist works could be bought on the cheap. Even if he sold them now well below market value, he'd still be making a decent profit. So in the absence of provenance, Friedman relied on trusted experts to judge whether Rosales's paintings were authentic. This was a common practice in the art world. For every major artist, there were scholars and institutions who put together catalogues raisonnés, or records of authenticated works. The catalogues were treated as the Bible for a painter's body of work. None of the pieces in Rosales's collection were documented by historians, but the art world was open to the idea that new paintings can be discovered and added to the record. David Anfam was one of the world's leading experts on Rothko. The scholar had previously been commissioned by Washington, D.C.'s National Gallery of Art and the Rothko family to compile the artist's catalogue raisonné. According to Friedman, when she showed him the Rothko piece, Anfam immediately declared it was authentic. The National Gallery also examined two Rothkos in Mr. X's collection and responded positively. The gallerist even got a promising reply from Cranmer Art Conservatory, the conservator for the Mark Rothko estate. The organization said the artwork, quote, exemplifies the classic Rothko format from the 1950s. To the gallery director, if the pieces pass the, quote, eye test from multiple experts, that was good enough for her. Plus, Rosales seemed trustworthy. She was often spotted at art auctions, gallery openings, and even bought pieces from Nodler. She was a public figure. She wasn't hiding. The new gallery director was convinced she'd found a dealer with valuable paintings. It was like she'd stumbled upon a goose that laid golden eggs. But just as that fable warns, some opportunities are too good to be true. Coming up... Doubt swirls around Mr. X's art collection. They say time heals all wounds, but sometimes time can do anything but. Welcome to Cold Cases, the new Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Carter Roy. Every Monday, join me as I revisit the clues and miscues of some of the most elusive criminal cases in history. From burglary and arson to kidnappings and murder, each episode of Cold Cases explores the many types of crime, the many ways they remain unsolved, and how long it takes to find the answers, if ever. Will justice be served? Only time will tell. Follow Cold Cases free and only on Spotify. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 Platinum Jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Now, back to the story. 
In the mid-1990s, Nodler Gallery's new director, Ann Friedman, met with dealer Glafira Rosales regarding a rare abstract expressionist painting. The artwork had red flags, a murky provenance, and an anonymous owner selling his collection well below market value. But Friedman dismissed those concerns. She bought the Rothko and many more paintings from Rosales. Think works by iconic 20th century artists like Willem de Kooning, Robert Motherwell, and Jackson Pollock. And if the canvases were good enough for the prestigious Nodler Gallery, they were good enough for collectors. Friedman watched people's eyes light up as they took in the paintings in her gallery. Nodler sold the works to individuals and institutions across the globe. Each sale generated hefty commissions for the art house. Galleries in the second-hand art market often make a 100% profit on their pieces. But Friedman was selling at even higher margins of 200 to 800%. Sales of that magnitude usually only happen once a decade. But Nodler was raking them in every year. In one instance, the gallery bought a painting from Rosales for $600,000 and then sold it for a whopping $5 million. In most businesses, the more profit you make, the more successful you are. But that doesn't always hold true in the art world. According to Dr. Jeffrey Taylor of New York Art Forensics, secondary market dealers, like galleries, should be concerned if their pieces are regularly selling for outrageous markups. Let's say you sell paintings for $10,000 each. Then you notice your buyers are reselling the same pieces for $50,000. You'll eventually realize you can charge more for your artwork and raise your prices accordingly. But Mr. X Jr. didn't do that. He continued selling at a steep markdown, which was suspicious, to say the least. That said, as long as nobody asked any questions, they wouldn't hear any troubling answers, which is likely why Friedman didn't press Rosales harder for all the information. After all, they were both winning. Rosales still made a profit for her client, and buyers still purchased the works from Friedman. The art world fawned over Mr. X's collection. Luxury publisher Taschen featured the Rothko painting in their books. Another piece was displayed in the prestigious Beiler Museum in Switzerland, where the painting had its own wall in the Rothko rooms. With each sale, Friedman earned greater respect. She became known in the art world as the go-to seller of rare abstract expressionist art. But that changed in 2001 when a discerning buyer bought a Jackson Pollock from the Nodler Gallery for $2 million. The new owner, investment banker Jack Levy, agreed to purchase it on one condition. Its authenticity had to be certified by the International Foundation for Art Research, or IFAR. The organization could study the piece's materials and compare their findings to an authentic Pollock from the same year. According to IFAR Executive Director Sharon Flesher, Levy's piece had multiple inconsistencies. Even though Levy had bought an old canvas, the paint on it was much newer than the kind used on authentic Pollocks. And the wood on Levy's canvas had aged differently than an original would have. 
Flesher was also troubled by how Levy's painting looked. In the documentary, Made You Look, she said, Stylistically, there were many concerns about how the paint was applied, about that greenish-brownish wash no one had ever seen. Even the people who liked the work questioned that. As if that weren't enough, IFAR compiled a 16-page report on why the provenance wasn't feasible. The 1949 painting would have been made during the height of Pollock's fame, so it should have been catalogued somewhere, and yet nobody could find it. Given the murky provenance, unidentified owner, and the fact that it was sold to Nodler by a dealer no one had heard of, IFAR refused to authenticate Levy's purchase. But the organization stopped short of explicitly labeling the painting a fake. The incident highlighted a gray area in the art world. It can be risky to declare a piece has been forged. A painting's owner has a lot riding on its authentication. If it's real, it can sell for millions of dollars. But if the work turns out to be fraudulent, it's worthless. So, when a painting's authenticity is challenged, a collector stands to lose a lot of money. Some buyers have even sued experts who dared to question their purchases. Even though the plaintiffs in these cases rarely win, the legal expenses can be costly. The threat of litigation has prompted many organizations to shutter their authentication business. For specialists, there's little to gain and a lot to lose for critiquing a painting. It's much safer for organizations like IFAR to withhold any definitive judgments. But that ambiguity leaves room for gallerists like Ann Friedman to say the expert's opinion was inconclusive. Jack Levy trusted IFAR over Friedman. After he read the organization's report, he demanded a refund for the Pollock. And even though she disagreed with the verdict, Friedman kept her word. She allowed Levy to return the painting and gave him back the $2 million he'd paid for it. In light of the new questions surrounding the piece, many gallerists would have taken the painting off the market until its authenticity could be confirmed. Instead, Friedman relisted the $2 million Pollock for $11 million. Even when experts like IFAR question a painting, they often do so discreetly to protect collectors who've been defrauded. If IFAR had publicly released its findings, everyone would know Jack Levy had been fooled into buying a possible fake. But when these reports are kept private, dealers can relist the same painting and eventually swindle another buyer. Plus, Friedman had plenty of incentive to ignore IFAR's inconclusive report. Demand for Pollock's paintings was going up. Friedman wanted to do what any good business person would, follow industry trends and maximize profit. But she was willing to completely ignore the growing controversy. Friedman reached out to Rosales, saying there were concerns about the authenticity of Mr. X's collection. Under pressure from Friedman, Rosales offered additional details about the painting's provenance. In her new version of the story, supposedly Mr. X was gay and had bought paintings from David Herbert, an art dealer in New York. Herbert was also gay. Mr. X had a wife and children in Switzerland who didn't know about his sexuality. 
If he took his art back home, he was afraid he'd be outed. This account didn't contradict Rosales' original story. The dealer merely offered additional details. She said Mr. X first worked with Osorio, then later with David Herbert. Both Osorio and Herbert were dead by this point, so there was no way to directly verify the provenance with them. Still, the story didn't add up for Daedalus Foundation President Jack Flam. He was a historian, and his organization was founded by artist Robert Motherwell, one of the leading abstract expressionist painters of the 20th century. In 2007, an art dealer named Julian Weissman asked Flam to examine a painting in his home. It was a recently discovered Motherwell piece, part of his Elegy to the Spanish Republic series. The paintings were large abstract works that reflected the artist's anguish about the Spanish Civil War. Motherwell had ditched clean lines and vibrant colors in favor of jagged, unruly black shapes and drip marks sharply contrasted against slivers of white paint. The clash between the opposing colors represented the tension between the order and disarray during the war. Unbeknownst to Flam, Wiseman had bought the long-lost elegy piece from a dealer named Lafira Rosales. Apparently, she wasn't just doing business with the Nodler Gallery. After Flam saw the piece, he sent Weissman a letter declaring the painting was an authentic motherwell. But in his note, the art historian also said his opinion could change if new circumstances about the painting ever came to light. So, months later, Flam was alarmed when Anne Friedman told him about another recently discovered elegy by Motherwell especially when he examined the work and noticed excessive drip marks and oil. Flam told Friedman about his reservations. The two had known each other for years, and the historian believed he was doing a favor by sharing his concerns. He knew Friedman's gallery was selling other works from the same collection the suspicious Elegy piece came from. If Elegy's authenticity was in question, Friedman might want to take Rosales's other works off the market and re-examine them. But in spite of the growing suspicions, the gallerist was convinced her motherwell was real. She'd even showed her elegy to the artist's ex-wife, Helen Frankenthaler. According to the documentary Made You Look, she reportedly, quote, pointed her finger and said, yep, that's Bob. Friedman told Flam she believed in the painting's provenance. The piece was linked to art dealer David Herbert, supposedly a close friend of Motherwell. But Flam dug deeper and learned Motherwell and Herbert weren't friends at all. There was no indication Motherwell ever knew who Herbert was. So Flam challenged Friedman. He dared her to submit two of the paintings from Mr. X's collection for forensic testing. He even referred her to a leading forgery spotter, Jamie Martin. In his lab, Martin ran a variety of scientific tests. While so-called experts used the eye test to judge paintings' authenticity, Martin compiled hard data to back up his conclusions. His methods were so rigorous, the FBI consulted him on their art fraud investigations. When he examined a couple of Nodler's paintings, he detected a pigment on one of Mr. X's pieces, that hadn't been invented until well after the work was supposedly made. 
To the scientists, the abnormality was hard to argue with. He later compared it to seeing a photo of John F. Kennedy holding an iPhone. It was immediately clear something was off. Martin's analysis was the second time forensic testing had cast doubt on Mr. X's collection. But Friedman still wasn't swayed. She didn't trust Martin's methods. He was a one-man operation. The scientists didn't employ any associates or lab technicians who could attest to his findings. Plus, she thought Martin's claim about the questionable pigment could be explained. According to an art historian, E.A. Carmine Jr., Mr. X's pieces could have brushed against paint in the collector's home, collecting new pigments. Flam thought that was unlikely, especially since Mr. X wasn't a painter. More to the point, he couldn't understand why Friedman pushed back against indisputable evidence. To him, either she knew the paintings were fake, or she should have known. It seemed possible the gallerist was engaging in an art fraud of unprecedented scale. Flam recognized this case might be too big for him to solve on his own. So he reported Friedman to the authorities who had the power to break up the potential fraud network, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Coming up, the FBI investigates. Hi, I'm Avantika Chilkoti, host of The Modi Raj, a new podcast from The Economist. Narendra Modi has watched over a period of rapid growth in India, but he's also the front man for a chauvinistic Hindu nationalism. Now, he's eyeing another term as prime minister. What will it mean for India and the world? I've been trying to get inside his head. Listen now to the Modi Raj from The Economist, wherever you get your podcasts. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. Now back to the story. In 2007, art historian Jack Flam reported gallerist Ann Friedman to the FBI. He believed Friedman was selling fake artwork from a shady anonymous collector dubbed Mr. X. Although movies and TV often depict the FBI investigating violent offenses, the Bureau has a special unit devoted to prosecuting art crimes. It might be one of the busiest task forces in the country, According to the agency, $6 billion worth of fraudulent art is bought and sold every year. When prosecutor Jason Hernandez was assigned the case, he recognized it would be a historic one, regardless of the verdict. If the pieces turned out to be legitimate, Mr. X's collection includes some of the rarest, most valuable art in the world. But if the paintings were fake, Buyers had been defrauded out of $80 million. It would be the largest art fraud case to date in American history. The top suspect was Glafira Rosales, the dealer who'd sold the pieces to Nodler Gallery. 
At first, authorities weren't sure if Rosales knew the paintings were forged or if she'd been duped. But Jack Flam, the Motherwell investigator whose suspicions kept growing, had hired a private investigator. Within a couple of weeks, the PI discovered Rosales lived with her boyfriend, Jose Carlos Brigantinos Diaz, who'd previously been accused of trafficking stolen art in 1999. In the documentary, Made You Look, Daedalus Foundation attorney Perry Amselam expressed shock at how Friedman could have missed that detail. A nonprofit organization uncovered Diaz's identity not long into a private investigation. Surely, a prestigious gallery like Nodler should have been able to do the same. It wasn't looking good for Friedman. As the federal investigation mounted, collector Pierre Lagrange threatened to sue the gallery. He'd previously bought a Jackson Pollock from the gallery for $17 million. Now Lagrange was going through a divorce and in the middle of dividing up his assets, including the Pollock piece. But when he enlisted the help of auction house Sotheby's to sell the painting, the firm declined because of questions surrounding the work's authenticity. So, Lagrange submitted it for forensic testing. And just like the other tests we've discussed, this one also suggested the work was forged. Just days after Lagrange threatened to file a lawsuit, the gallery abruptly closed on November 30th, 2011, citing business reasons. Nodler's attorney later denied that Lagrange influenced the decision. Up to this point, Nodler had operated continuously for 165 years, staying open through the Civil War and both world wars. So when news spread about the closure, Lagrange's lawsuit, and an FBI investigation, former buyers grew concerned. One by one, they filed complaints against the gallery. Seemingly overnight, Nodler and Friedman went from two of the most respected names in the art world to defendants in 10 different lawsuits. And the civil cases weren't the only legal problems facing the gallery and its dealers. By 2013, the FBI had enough evidence to arrest Glafira Rosales for tax fraud. Assistant United States Attorney Hernandez knew she sold paintings to a couple New York businesses, including Nodler and Julian Weissman Fine Art. When the galleries bought pieces from Rosales, they wired funds to her bank account in Spain. 90% of those proceeds should have gone to the owners of the artwork, Mr. X's family. For her service as a broker, Rosales should have only pocketed the remaining 10%. But when the FBI followed the money, the agency saw Rosales was keeping all of it for herself, which signaled two things. First, her alleged client, Mr. X Jr., probably didn't exist. Otherwise, he would have taken his cut. Second, the art dealer was earning tens of millions of dollars, but in her tax filings, she didn't report the income she generated from the art sales. On May 21, 2013, authorities arrested Rosales at her home in Long Island. She was facing years in prison. But if she came clean to the FBI, she could receive a more lenient punishment. So Rosales opened up. 
Not only did she confess to selling fake pieces, but she said she'd hired someone to paint the works. The true artist was a math professor in his 70s named Pei Xin Qian. By the time investigators learned about Qian, he'd already fled to his birth country, China. But he'd left behind plenty of incriminating evidence at his house in Queens, New York. Authorities found an envelope labeled Mark Rothko Nails, a variety of art books and paints that matched the ones used in Rosales' pieces. When they looked into Qian's past, investigators learned the forger had been a successful artist in China. In 1981, he'd immigrated to the U.S. to study at the Art Students League in Manhattan. It was the same school attended by Jackson Pollock, whose work Qian later forged. Over the course of his studies, Qian learned how to copy Pollock's techniques, as well as those of his contemporaries. The Chinese painter then sold his abstract expressionist copies on the streets of New York. That's where Glafira Rosales' boyfriend, Jose Carlos Bergantinos Diaz, first met the artist. At the time, Rosales and Diaz were plotting a forgery scheme and interviewing different painters. Chien impressed the couple with his painting skills. He mimicked the styles of iconic artists, abstract expressionist painters whose work sold for millions of dollars. So they allegedly worked at a plan where Qian would forge pieces for at least $5,000 per painting. Once Qian finished a piece, it's believed that Diaz touched it up to make the paintings appear older, as though it was made during the mid-20th century. Diaz found old frames and used techniques that gave pieces a weathered look, like staining canvases with tea bags. This gambit lasted for 15 years, a span in which Qian created over 60 paintings from his garage in Queens. In that time, Rosales and Diaz ran a simple operation. They'd pay Qian to forge a piece, Diaz would make it look older than it was, and then Rosales would sell it to Anne Friedman at Nodler Gallery. The criminals got away with their scheme for so many years because they knew the secrets to pulling off a good con. First, Rosales identified a good target. As author Maria Konnikova said in the documentary Made You Look, a master con artist gives you what you want. When Rosales first made contact with Friedman, the gallerist had just been promoted. Friedman was at a vulnerable point in her career she was under pressure to source fine art that could sell for a lot of money. Rosales pitched Friedman on Mr. X's collection, but she didn't suddenly show up with dozens of paintings. That would have been too suspicious. Instead, she only brought one piece to their first meeting with Friedman. From that point onward, Rosales only produced one or two paintings each year. She was vague about the collection's owner and provenance, but offered enough plausible details to make her story seem real, especially to someone who was desperate to believe it, like Friedman. As we mentioned earlier, Rosales initially said the Rothko was owned by a collector who'd moved from Europe to Mexico after World War II. This was a common post-war immigration story, one that wouldn't arouse suspicion. Rosales said Mr. X visited New York, where he bought pieces from Alfonso Osorio. 
That wasn't some made-up art dealer. Osorio was a prominent figure in the abstract expressionist art scene during the 1950s. He was also a convenient subject for Rosales' story. Osorio was no longer alive, so there was no way for anyone to ask him whether Rosales' account was truthful. And when concerns first started popping up about Mr. X's collection, Rosales revised her story to include another real-life art figure, David Herbert. Like Osorio, Herbert was a prominent figure in the New York art scene during the mid-20th century. But he, too, was dead by the time Rosales met Friedman. So it was impossible to ask him about the revised Providence, assuming the gallerist even wanted to. Nodler's accountant later revealed the institution wouldn't have been profitable without Rosales' paintings. The livelihood of the gallery, and by extension its director, depended on the allegedly rare pieces from Mr. X's collection. As long as the forged paintings looked authentic, Friedman had every incentive to trust Rosales. And if they were good enough to fool the gallerist, then any like-minded experts would likely reach the same conclusion. Rosales seemingly didn't account for forensic testing. But when she approached Nodler in the mid-90s, scientific analysis was rarely conducted on artwork. So the dealer probably wasn't worried about exposure. By the time forensic testing became commonplace in the fine art world, Friedman had already been working with Rosales for years. The gallerist was reluctant to accept the art collection she'd built her reputation on and made millions from could have all been fake. To author Maria Konnikova, who studied and wrote about con artists, Friedman's behavior was typical for a victim of a con. The gallerist was so invested in Rosales' works and their authenticity, her instinct was to deny any unsettling evidence. Whenever red flags popped up, Friedman found ways to rationalize them. And eventually, someone had to pay the price for her refusal to see the truth. In the end, Friedman and Nodler settled all 10 lawsuits against them. Only one went to trial, and it was settled moments before Friedman was scheduled to take the stand. In public interviews, the gallerist insisted she never knowingly sold fakes. Glafira Rosales pleaded guilty to wire fraud, money laundering, tax evasion, and other charges. She served three months in jail, nine months of house arrest, and three years of probation. She was also ordered to forfeit the $33 million she'd made off her art sales and pay $81 million in restitution to her victims. Seemingly overnight, Rosales went from hobnobbing at fancy gallery openings to persona non grata, blackballed from the fine art world forever. Following her indictment, according to the documentary Made You Look, she worked as a waitress at a diner in Brooklyn. Prosecutors also went after Rosales' boyfriend, Diaz, but he'd already fled to Spain. Although the feds tried to have him extradited to the U.S., the Spanish government ultimately declined the request, citing Diaz's poor health. Meanwhile, Pei Xin Qian, the Chinese artist who, according to Rosales, painted the forged works, got off scot-free. He fled to China, where the U.S. doesn't have an extradition treaty. 
To this day, there are mixed opinions about whether Friedman was the victim of a con or an accomplice. Some experts find it hard to believe the veteran gallerist fell for so many fake pieces. As the New York Times' M.H. Miller said, either Friedman was complicit or she was one of the stupidest people to have ever worked at an art gallery. At the end of their investigation, the FBI declined to prosecute Friedman. According to Assistant U.S. Attorney Jason Hernandez, the Bureau didn't feel they had strong enough evidence that the gallerist knowingly deceived buyers. If you're wondering where Friedman is now, you don't have to look too hard. She currently runs her own gallery on the Upper East Side. Friedman Art operates just three blocks away from the former Nodler storefront, where she sold over $60 million worth of forged art. And that fake Rothko, the very first painting Rosales sold to Friedman? Well, after the scandal, the piece was displayed in a major exhibition about counterfeit art. Instead of decorating the wall of a prestigious art gallery, the painting lay beside a knockoff designer handbag, as beautiful and striking as ever, but officially worthless. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Ben Hanani, edited by Georgia Hampton and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Kevin Johnson, researched by Chelsea Wood, and produced by Bruce Katovich. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rosner. Hi, I'm Carter Roy, host of the Spotify original from ParCast, Cold Cases. From burglary and arson to kidnappings and murder, explore the many types of crime, the many ways they remain unsolved, and how long it takes to find the answers, if ever. Catch a new episode of Cold Cases every Monday. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.